Podo. You're listening to Movers and Shakers, a podcast about living with Parkinson's. The show is generously sponsored by Boardwave, an exclusive European networking community for software CEOs. Boardwave is a passionate supporter of Cure Parkinson's. For more details on the charity's progress around research and its fundraising, please visit cureparkinsons.org.uk. Hello and welcome to Movers and Shakers. I'm Rory Kathleen-Jones and this is a special edition of the podcast with an update on the big adventure our dear colleague Paul Mayhew-Archer has been on. We've been talking for months about Paul's DBS operation, the radical deep brain stimulation treatment that Gillian has had and swears has transformed her life. That operation was scheduled for November the 2nd, and both Paul and the rest of us were keen that the experience should be shared with the Movers and Shakers community. So in the days running up to the op, he began to keep an audio diary. We had hoped that the last entry would come on the evening of November the 2nd, as Paul woke up after the very lengthy operation to place electrodes in his skull. But it didn't quite work out like that. No spoilers, though I should stress that Paul is perfectly fit and well. So let's have a listen to those diaries. Before he started in earnest, Paul sent this letter to his grandchildren as a kind of prologue. Hello, Berno, and hello, Dylan. It's Grandpa here. I'm 70 years old as I record this, and you are four, Berno, and you are one year old, Dylan. And I'm recording this now because I'm about to embark on a bit of an adventure. Because I'm going to have a thing called deep brain stimulation which is rather exciting because, as you may know, I have an illness called Parkinson's, which affects me in all sorts of ways. For example, I'm quite wobbly on my feet, as you'll have noticed. In fact, more wobbly on my feet than you are on your feet, Dylan, and you're only one year old. So anyway, I have this thing, Parkinson's, and to try and help it make less of an impact on my life, what I have is this thing called deep brain stimulation, which is an operation where, and it's hard to believe this, they actually drill a hole in my brain, in my head, and then they stick some wires in, and then they turn the wires on to simulate my brain, and it sort of does all well, sorts of rather wonderful things for me. So anyway, I'm about to embark on this adventure, and I'm going to keep you informed as to how it goes with a lot of these recordings, and others may like to listen to them as well. Oh, by the way, I should point out, the people who are going to drill the hole in my head, they are experts, they are doctors, it's not just any old person doing it. If it was Granny doing it, I'd be quite worried. Okie dokie. Speak to you soon. Lots of love. Bye-bye, Grandpa. A few days later, a week before the operation is due, Paul records his first diary in a car park, having turned up for an exercise class which isn't taking place. He's in reflective mood as the big day approaches. I am feeling, I suppose, quite nervous about the whole thing because it's a journey into the unknown for me. I've never been in hospital. I've never had an operation. I've had a sort of incredibly lucky life up to now. And so I, I honestly don't know what to expect. I've never had a general anaesthetic. And of course, on the one hand, I meet fellow Parkies who've had successful operations and it's all gone swimmingly well. On the other hand, one brother of one dear friend of mine had an operation for DVS and died four days later. Very rare, very unusual, but these things sort of make you think, don't they? That will make me think anyway. I hope that the operation will be a success. 
I hope that it will do me some good. They said that the one thing it might not help is the voice. So I will have to do some work on my voice because I'm doing an audio diary, so clearly my voice is pretty important to me. But it should help. It should even out my day because at the moment my days are filled with ons and offs. And the, the moment I go from on to off can be like a cliff edge. I just tip off the, and suddenly I can't move, suddenly I can't do anything. The particular DBS I'm having doesn't specifically help with uh, freezing, but it might enable me to be sort of more evenly out through the door. My life is, uh, apart from the DBS, is uh, really pretty good, actually, I think. I love doing the podcast idea, Movers and Shakers. I've just done another rewrite of the script of a film I'm writing about two people with Parkinson's who fall in love at exercise class, a dance class. Of course, it can't be me because I usually fail to turn up to the dance classes and exercise classes because they go on the wrong week. But anyway, enough of that. I shall stop now and uh, continue later. Goodbye. Hello, I'm Paul Mayhew Archer and this is the second of my audio diaries about having my deep brain stimulation operation which is coming up now on Thursday of this week. Over the weekend I was doing something which reminded me of something that happened early on this year. I turned 70 at the start of this year and my son Simon suggested that I might like a party where a few people come for dinner and then they all pretend as though I've died. And so they sort of come out with the little lovely, funny, tributey speeches that normally you don't get to hear because you're already dead. And I said, goodness me, Simon, how vain do you think I am? He said, very vain. And I said, you're right. Yes, I'd love that. So actually what we did, and it was a splendid evening. And the reason I was reminded of that over the weekend was because I've sort of had to pretend I'm dead in a letter I've written because I've never even been to hospital before. I've never spent a night in hospital and I'm spending a night in hospital this week. But I'm also having a hole drilled into my head, into my brain, wires put in, and something could go wrong, I suppose, uh, there's a possibility, and in which case I don't survive. So I've had to think about a letter to my family, just, well, practical letter telling them about the things that they need to know about, but also a sort of emotional goodbye, really, because there is that possibility. It's strange when you're confronting your own mortality in a way that I've I've never had to do before. And um, it was a very difficult letter to write, and I, I actually think I've written something rather short and brief, and I don't know whether I've said anything I want to say, but um, I hope that they never get to see it, or not for many, many years to come. But we shall see. I shall keep you informed of other things that are happening. Uh, I think probably every day now this week, because this is now the Monday morning and the operation is on Thursday, I hope, all going well. So um, I'll get in touch again tomorrow. Hello there, Paul Mayhew Archer here with the third of my audio diaries. And uh, I'm quite late doing it today because uh, it's been a hectic old day. Anyway, the, the reason it's been a hectic old day is because, well... The, I remember somebody saying, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? And I said, uh, I thought the worst piece of advice I'd ever been given was live each day as if it's your last. Because obviously, you know, you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, I've got on holiday today. And then you think, oh, no, there's no point really because I've 
and all the paperwork and the tax affairs to sort out, and I'm going to die tomorrow. Oh, dear. I was going to go and have a lovely day, and I was thought I'd watch a lovely film as well, but now I'm going to die tomorrow. So, so that's a terrible bit of advice. Anyway, of course, I'm going to have this serious bit of brain surgery, so there was a possibility, or is a possibility, that I might die, I suppose. I thought, well, i better get my paperwork sorted out, and it's taken me all day. God, boring, boring. Do it in advance, well in advance. That is one piece of advice I have for you. If you've got any paperwork or things, sort out. Sort them out in advance before your last day so you can have a lovely, lovely tea and chocolate cake and just eat yourself silly because, you know, if you're going to only live 24 hours, you might as well pig out while you're doing it. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting sidetracked. What I really wanted to say was I'm actually looking forward to this on Thursday, my brain surgery, because I think it's going to change me for the better. It's going to help me. And also, I should outline something of what's going to happen. So I have to get there for sort of 7 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my goodness. 7 o'clock in the morning at the John Radcliffe. There's a sort of meeting and there's chat and everything. And then I'm, I'm put under and a general anaesthetic. I'm wheeled in and they drill a hole in my skull, <laughs> into my brain. And the whole thing takes about five hours, I think. They also have to put a, a battery pack in my chest. There are two bits of major surgery that go on. Then I'm wheeled back and I, I spend the night in hospital and then the next day, all being well, I should come home. Isn't that amazing? The next day. So I get home and then I'm supposed to take it easy for sort of four to six weeks, I suppose, and then they eventually, they don't turn on the, the electrodes immediately. Let the brain settle, get used to the fact that they've got electrodes there. And then they switch them on about four to six weeks after my operation. So all sorts of excitement to come. And uh, I'll get back to you again tomorrow with some more interesting stuff, I hope. Well, not boring, anyway. Well, it might be. I don't know. It's nearly midnight. Goodness me. Anyway, farewell. See you tomorrow. Such is my complete inability to do anything on time. I am now recording my audio diary for November the 1st on November the 2nd. So I'm a day late. Well, only about an hour late, in fact. But anyway, there we go. Actually, November the 1st, the day before my big operation, was quite a day. I finally managed to finish my, I hope it's my final draft of my film that I'm writing about Parkinson's. Everything's about Parkinson's, of course, these days. I also did some filming for the one show about the operation to come. And uh, I was hoping to treat myself in the evening with some chocolate. But Julie hid the chocolate because she knows that chocolate is not at all good for me. I did think that uh, when we get into the six-hour nil-by-mouth period, she's going to produce the chocolate and say, ha-ha, but you can't actually eat it, and she'll wave the big bar in front of me, and I won't be able to touch it. But I don't know that she will do that. Anyway, it is now a matter of hours, hours, before I head off to the JR, the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, and they do the business. I'm uh, rather excited, actually, now. And because I haven't slept all day, and I've... And it's now what one, one o'clock in the morning. I think I will sleep very well indeed under general anaesthetic. Some people uh, who have the DBS, deep brain stimulation, are actually awake for part of it, but I'm asleep for the whole of thought, which is quite right, really, because, um, well, goodness me, I just want to be unconscious. And then hopefully come round at the end of it all and say, hurrah. And then in six weeks' time, they will um, turn it on when my brain has sort of subsided from the excitement of the operation. So what a day it is. And uh, I hope you have a lovely day, all of you. And I hope to see you and speak to you again after the operation. So we shall see. All the very best. Cheers. Bye-bye.
Hello, uh, Paul May here to here with the fifth of my instalments in the audio diary to do with my deep brain stimulation, which was meant to happen yesterday. So at 7.15 yesterday morning, on the 2nd of November, I went to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, and eight hours later I was able to walk out of the John Radcliffe Hospital, basically because nothing had happened. It was like this. Uh, the anaesthetist came in at eight o'clock and went through things. He was lovely. Then the surgeon came in at about 8.30 and he was very helpful and lovely and told me what was going to happen, hopefully, except that there was a little bit of a problem with free beds. Now, I should explain, the thing about beds, they say, shortage of beds, they don't mean a shortage of beds. In fact, there were lots of empty beds around yesterday that I could see. It's the shortage of staff to do what's necessary to keep the patient in those beds or look after the patient while they're in the beds. That is the problem. And there were three beds possibly available, but one of them had to become available by the time I had finished in surgery, which was going to be sort of five hours. So we kept waiting. I was in a room, kept waiting. My blood pressure was taken regularly. It didn't get particularly high. I kept very calm, I have to say. After nine hours, unfortunately, the surgeon came in and was deeply apologetic and said, owing to the staff shortage, by the time they got a room, a bed, It was two o'clock. The surgical team had been on duty since eight o'clock, I think. So it was difficult to get them together to start a five-hour operation at two o'clock in the afternoon. So it wasn't going to happen. And hopefully, he assures me, it will happen later this month. So why is this? Why do we have this problem with the shortage of beds? And why do we have this problem with language? Why do we call it shortage of beds when we don't mean that? There is a problem with the language we use with the National Health Service, I think. Junior doctors is another case. I don't know why, but I think junior doctors means they're in shorts and small children, really. In fact, they're incredibly senior, incredibly important, gifted, talented, brilliant people. So there's a problem with language. We don't value the people who are doing what we need to do because we talk about a shortage of beds rather than shortage of vital, vital people that maintain those beds. Anyway, the problem is, as well, There's a shortage in the NHS of about 130,000 people. 130,000 people. There's a shortage at the John Radcliffe Hospital. And why is there this shortage? Well, partly it's because we used to steal doctors from other parts of the world. And strangely, they don't want to come here now as much as they possibly did, or they don't need to come here. They can work in their own countries. Or perhaps they're a little bit angry with us, or upset, or disappointed because of Brexit in Europe. They don't come from Europe. And we haven't trained enough. And there's been a recent announcement of a plan to train more doctors and nurses. But it's not going to start training until 2025. And then it's going to take four or five years to train these people, these valuable people that we need. And then, well, in Oxford and other places in the country, we have an additional problem. Once you've trained them, it's all very well. You've trained them, you say, hooray, we can put them into the system. And then they come to Oxford and they look at the house prices and they think, oh my God, I can't afford to live here. There was a time, you know, I seem to remember when I was young, there was a time when nurses, if they were young, just starting out, they would have houses that they could all live in together, large blocks of places that they could live in together, save a bit of money, get together. Camaraderie is very important. There were also convalescent homes that seemed to exist as a pathway house so that 
You could take people out of the beds in hospitals, which are vitally important, to convalescent homes where they could be looked after until they're ready to go home. So we have a care system now that's broken, really. I think we've got our priorities wrong, if I may be so bold. I think we value the wrong things. I work in television. I'm a comedy writer. I get paid more than most NHS staff, or have been, because I make people laugh. Is that more valuable than keeping people alive? I don't know. I think also we've got our priorities wrong. We have, we want houses that have two or three toilets, but we so we spend all our money on mortgages. We mortgage ourselves up to the hill to do that. We don't want to spend as much as we can on the taxation and the money that's necessary to keep the NHS afloat. And at the same time, we want more and more treatment. There are estimates that the number of people who live till 85 will go up by 50 or 60% in the next 15 years. You know, the thing about my deep brain stimulation is it didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. We make these great breakthroughs and then we don't expect to have to pay more to fulfil them. We look at with wonder at, at conjoined twins being separated so that they can lead a normal life. But we don't think to ourselves, oh, I think that's going to mean that we've got to pay a bit more. Meanwhile, we've got a government which doesn't seem, or a variety of governments, I think, really, that doesn't seem to know quite what to do or how to do it. And we've become a bit broken, I'm afraid. I'm sure you'll have views on this, and please feel free to disagree or whatever. It's just my view. I didn't feel desperately disappointed, angry or anything yesterday. I felt disappointed for the staff, actually. You've got absolutely brilliant, brilliant people. I mean, they are lovely and brilliant. And they were sitting around wasting the day because they couldn't get on and do the thing that they are absolutely brilliant at. And so there's no point in being cross with them. But I'd love to know for any suggestions that what we can do. I think we need to be prepared to make a bit more noise about the... If we really, really value the NHS as we did, you know, it's all very well to clap your hands on a Thursday evening and say, aren't they marvellous? But I think we have to do more than that. I'm absolutely certain we have to do more than that. So what do we have to do? Let's gather our thoughts together and have some ideas. Thank you very much indeed. I'll come back with the audio die when I've actually got a deep brain stimulation thing to be talking about. Thanks very much indeed. Bye-bye. Well, what I found extraordinary about that last diary was how calm, eloquent and forgiving Paul was after what sounds like an immensely frustrating experience. I can't imagine how I would have reacted. Well, actually I can, because last month I was facing similar last-minute cancellations of urgent, if far less serious, surgery on a fractured elbow. And was I calm, eloquent and forgiving? No, I was quite extraordinarily grumpy. I spoke to Paul the other day and he was still amazingly calm and positive. He has been told that he should get his operation sometime in November, and when that does happen he'll do more audio diaries. We will bring you the news about our friend as soon as we can. In the meantime, for more about DBS, you'll find an episode about it back in our first series in April. Next week, we'll be back to normal with an episode where we talk to our children about living with a parent with Parkinson's. Please join us then. You've been listening to Movers and Shakers with me, Rory Catherine-Jones, and my friends Gillian Lacey-Solomar, Mark Mardell, Paul Mayhew-Archer, Nicholas Mostyn and Jeremy Paxman. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Poddo. Our theme music is by Alex Stobbs and cover artwork by Till Lukat. Thanks again to Boardwave for their support. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app 
and do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show. We're also on Twitter at MoversAnd6. That's Movers and the number six. So please share the show there and email any thoughts or questions to feedback at moversandshakerspodcast.com. See you next week. <laughs>